0: Welcome to the full human rights experience education podcast. This interview with Heather McTaggart was recorded for the International Freedom in Education Day. Enjoy. So I think the first thing, could you introduce yourself a bit for the audience?
1: Sure. Uh, My name is Heather McTaggart. I'm the uh, Executive Director of Classroom Connections. I founded the organization 23 years ago with the idea that education system needed to change. And we've been through a number of ways trying to do that. First, producing resources that were free for schools right across the country, and many of which went to um, countries outside of Canada. I think our most significant program was something called Cultivating Peace, and it was uh, out in schools for the first anniversary of the, the 9-11 attacks and won awards and was shipped to over 50 countries, but still didn't change the education system. So then we spent 10 years working with First Nations communities in uh, Western Canada, in Alberta, to prove that alternate methods of education could work. And this is with um, almost entirely dropouts, um, teens and, and young adults. And while we changed lives, we didn't change any systems. And then we were looking at uh, starting a self-directed school in Toronto to show that this works uh, like the 500 others that are out there in the world and show that it works. And then COVID happened and we realized we need to take a different tact.
0: So we are talking today for the International Freedom in Education Day. What does freedom in education mean for you?
1: One thing, choice. It means that kids should get to choose what it is they learn, how they learn it, and who they learn it with.
0: And how do you think could we achieve this for everybody out there?
1: Well, the the project that we're working on now, which is is really to try to create a movement called Unschooling School, unschoolingschool.com, that recognizes that the majority of kids are in publicly funded education. And while it's wonderful to to create alternative schools and to do unschooling at home, that's not going to reach everybody. So the idea of unschooling school is that parents and students unite and demand that the education system adjusts for them. So right now, the system is a certain model, and everybody's supposed to contort themselves to fit into that model. And what unschooling school is saying is, no, wrong way around. The education system needs to adjust for the individual and be there to serve the individual child.
0: So you are from Canada. How do you um, feel is the situation for freedom in education in Canada? How far are we already? What's already there?
1: Um, what What's there is, is about 2% of families doing um, or of kids of school age doing homeschooling. And we figure that about half of that is unschooling. It's not a huge problem to decide to unschool or homeschool your kids in Canada. Um, There's a little bit of paperwork, but that's really it. Nobody comes to arrest you if you are choosing to educate your kids at home. Even you can be attending school and miss a lot of days and go and do other things or take a year off. And it's not really a problem. We have quite a few alternative schools within the education system. None of them are anywhere near as free as, well, let me, with the exception of maybe a handful, maybe five, are fairly well down the the freedom track in terms of uh, children's uh, choice. But the rest of them are just different flavors of the same system. So we don't have as many um, Sudbury Valley models or agile learning centers as the U.S., for example. However, I would say that individual choice within school right now in Canada is probably further further towards freedom than it than it would be in the U.S., for example.
0: What would you say would have to change for people to take that choice more easily?
1: Hmm. I I think it's recognizing that they have power. We've we've somehow created a situation where individuals so so students and parents don't think they have any power they think oh the system has told me i have to do this we have to do homework or we're going to get in trouble you know we have to take tests or we're going to get in trouble and what we're trying to say is no just stand up and say no simply i refuse this i opt out i'm going to stay in the public system cuz we're already paying for it and it's here and it's got all kinds of resources but i'm going to say no to certain things To me, it's a little bit like recycling. Once you know that you can recycle a can and it's not going to go in landfill, you're walking down the street and you have a a can of soda in your hand and it's empty and you want to throw it away. If you can't find a recycling bin, it's really hard to just throw that can away in a garbage because you now know that there's something better to do. And I'm thinking, I'm hoping that that's what it's like. Once people hear, okay, I can just say no to certain things at school. Wow. That is my right. Why shouldn't it be my right? I'm going to start doing that.
0: How would people realize that they have that choice? Except like now is, you have like this website. But
1: yeah. So the, so the unschoolingschool.com website is, is, it started off little with just an idea and, a, and a, a little animated video that said, what if we did this? You know, what if? And it's grown and grown because there are there is so much research out there that says that self-directed education is absolutely the answer and that children should be able to declare themselves a free learner. This is the, the term that we're using is, you know, kids should be able to say, I'm a free learner. I, I'm going to get to choose to learn the things that I want to learn. And we've created a number of forms and tools and mechanisms to formalize, you know, now I'm a free learner, I've completed the form, I've completed my free learner self-directed education plan. And these are the, the tools and the resources of the schools that I'd like school that I'd like to be able to use. And this is my declaration that I will be a responsible free learner. So when you go to the website and you decide to do this, you can create a whole package for yourself to share with the school, the principal or the, or the teacher and say, here it is. And it looks very formal and we're, we're purposely taking some of the tools that are already in the system and repurposing them for, (laughs) for freedom. So that teachers or principals will look at this and say, huh, this looks actually kind of real. And that is the idea that it will be easier for them to accept because it does look formal and there is a process I think, though, that the other thing that is critical in this is that people educate themselves. If you're going to decide you're a free learner and that you want to choose what you want to do at school, you need to spend a lot of time on the website and link to other websites and other sources and read, for example, at a minimum, you know, Peter Gray's book and Carl. Carl Rust's book, you know, Get Out of the Way and get, get Let Kids Learn, and and Derry Hannum's Another Way is Possible, and, and Wayne Jennings' Transforming Education. I mean, there are so many wonderful books out there, and you know, many of which we list on our, our site, as well as the many other sites that are out there that are talking about self-directed education. So if you're going to do this, it's still work. It's just that it's now work that you're interested in, as opposed to work that somebody else is telling you what to do.
0: So... Today, the standard is coercive education. How did we get to, to this point where now we have a day to ask for freedom in education or take our freedom in education?
1: I think it's, it's a coming together of so many things that you know, schools like Summerhill have been around now for a hundred years. They're about to celebrate their hundred year anniversary and Sudbury Valley is at 50 years. And those things have spread and we've got you know so sort of, i think the estimation is between 4 and 500 in the world and so the the group that is involved in this is getting larger and larger and at the same time i think that the the education systems in in you know all of the developed countries have become well they've done a funny thing they've done both they they talk about student directed and choice and children are the center of all we do they have these good lines that they say but the reality is there's more structure there's more testing there's more time in school there's more schoolifying of extracurricular and outside school activities so the actual amount of freedom that kids have has since the 50s for example has sharply declined at the same time as anxiety suicide depression and anxiousness have have gone up with kids and you know with if you look at the work of peter gray this is clear that these are related so I guess what I think is happening is that we're hopefully at a tipping point where enough people, enough adults have a child in the system that they can plainly see this is not working. You know, I had this bright, fun, happy child and every year that goes by at school, they become more and more miserable, you know, or I have a child who who loves school and is excelling, but is bored because there's not enough going on. And, you know, they used to think it was so exciting and now it's, oh, the class is still doing this and we've already done it before. So they, they, the percentage of people that are kind of served by the system, I think is at maximum 20%. And even then, if they were allowed to control their own education, they could probably go so much further. So I, I guess it's it's an awakening like other things. You know, it's like Black Lives Matter. It's like uh, Me Too. It's people saying, you know what? That's enough. That's enough. We don't need we don't need things to be this way. It doesn't matter that you know that most of the world is accepted. It's time it's time to stop accepting it.
0: How did you come in contact with self-directed education for yourself? I expect you went to school.
1: I did go to school. I was uh, I was a brilliant kindergartner. The uh, teacher said to my mother, "Oh, she should be going straight to grade two because she's so clever." But by grade two, they found out, mm, "Nope, she's stupid. She won't read. She won't do math." She won't do the things that all the other kids are doing. There's clearly something wrong with her, and that led to a long, long time of assessment and uh, extra help and sending to different schools to try to find something that would fit for me. But very strangely, I somehow knew it's not me; it's them. Even even when I was seven years old, that may be because I, you know, I was very fortunate and, and privileged to have a, a loving, caring family, and you know, parents that supported me to do other things like I, I danced quite a lot as a child and, and I was good at that. So people said, Oh, she's a good dancer. Well, at least she's a good dancer, you know? And so that it didn't kill my spirit. But when I, when I had kids and I saw my middle daughter, uh, my first daughter just learned to read all by herself. Like at four years old, she was reading. I, I, I thought, how could this happen? Like how, how, did, how did this even happen? And, but then my next one came along and she was a lot like me. And even though I, you know, I made it into university by the skin of my teeth and then did very well in university because I was, it was more self-directed. You could choose the courses you wanted to take. But when I saw what my daughter was struggling with and I realized, wow, it's hardly changed. The whole thing is, is almost the same. You know, we don't call it the, we don't put any kids with a dunce cap on, but everybody knows what the learning center is. You know, it's for the kids that aren't succeeding. And that's when I really started to, I mean, that's when I started the, the organization to try to change things, try to change the conversation um, because I realized we, we, haven't, we haven't come very far. And partway down that road, I started working with uh, John Abbott from the, from the UK who had written many, many books and, and we wrote a book together and who, who was contracted by the Canadian government to come to Canada four times a year and travel across the country. And what he did is he said, "Okay, here's here's the research. Here's what we know about kids learning and the brain, and here's what we're doing with the education system." That is so weird. These things seem to have nothing to do with each other. And those are the talks that you know he and then I—I I was his became his uh, director in Canada—did across the country. And still, that doesn't change anything. You know, there's more awareness. But it was through sort of that work, and then um, you know, afterwards, looking at starting a school, that I and our original idea was to, or, you know, a few two years ago or before COVID was to start a school in Toronto that was entirely self-directed and for Indigenous and non-Indigenous kids, because if you look at at um, how we're really meant to learn, it's it's the, the the methods that hunter-gatherers used, that all of our ancestors, all our common ancestors. You know, the edu- uh, what did education look like? Free play. Kids, after they're weaned, they play with other kids and they're naturally driven to mimic adults and do all the things that the adults are doing so that they can one day be productive members of the community. That's what they're driven to do and that's what they did. So that made so much sense to me, especially when I, I saw that the, you know, the regular education system was really not working for Indigenous kids. And so this seemed like aha this is the answer and i haven't changed my mind since i'm i'm very certain that it is indeed the answer
0: how different i i assume in canada you also have like the the people doing unschooling or the subway people are connected how did you experience that when you saw that for the first time?
1: Well, what I did is I actually went down to the original Sudbury Valley School outside of Boston and it it sort of worked out that I spent almost a week down there and also spent a day with Peter Gray. Being at Sudbury Valley and actually seeing it in action was amazing. Like I just, I thought, wow, you know, the kids were, you just see the light in all their eyes still, you know, they were just bright and aware and self-possessed and you know, communicative and healthy. You know, you did not, everybody's running around outside. So there. Were, I didn't see one kid that looked like they had a, an obesity issue. And I got to sit in on the justice committee, which is, is how they handle issues. There's a, a justice meeting every single day. So if you do something nasty to somebody one day, the next day you're going to be called into the justice committee. And it means that it's, you know, it's quick. So there's no bullying as a result of this. It's just handled right away and the committee like the school is is mostly run by the by the kids. And I was allowed to sit in but in order to not say anything, not even make a face, which is for me difficult. <laughs> so I sat in the back and watched it and the, that on that day the girl that was the sort of presiding was maybe 12 or 13. Well, you'd have thought she was a professional judge, you know, that she'd been a judge all her life. It was incredible they they ran it on Robert's rules. The youngest person in there was maybe six and just sat there and took the whole thing very serious. And a bunch of his little buddies were around the outside and they all, you know, just sat quietly and listened. It it operated just like a a courtroom, I would say with a little more empathy in terms of uh, if if somebody had done something wrong, they tried to figure out how how do they make up for it as opposed to get punished, which I thought was great. But it was just incredible to see how when you provide the right environment, um, you know, access to outside, books in every single room, technology, kitchen, art supplies, playroom, forest, and you just let kids go, they create a really beautiful world for themselves. And, and it was, it was an amazing experience.
0: It's amazing how similar it is. I, I visited Summerhill. mm and uh, I could also sit in in their meeting. It was quite similar. It's also told mm-hmm. uh, you are not allowed to participate. You are an, an observer. <laughs> and first uh, they had to vote if if I could attend, of course. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first thing we entered uh, the the premise of, of Summer Hill and there's a very big, a large tree. And there were like kids climbing all over it. <laughs> <And> my, <laughs> my daughter was with us and uh, she was immediately, oh, she saw that and she was immediately climbing the tree <laughs> mm-hmm. and feeling right at home. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's quite uh, impressive uh, seeing, seeing how these communities function and how peaceful it is. Yeah. And I would not yeah. say it's not conflict free. Of course not. No. There are conflicts, but the difference is like these they are resolved immediately. There's yes and it's not from from above, but it's like really Yeah. Because they have this structure around them. How, mm-hmm. Do you have a comparison when, when it is like not in a, like a school setting well, a school setting like Sudbury or Summerhill, uh, like when you meet like unschooling families? Is is it a similar experience?
1: Um yeah, I I've actually we used to have a, a very, very devoted unschooling family lived right down the street from me when my kids were teenagers and their kids were little. And uh one of their kids walked walked our dog for us when I was away. And I would say, yes, that 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 yeah, so those those are the people that I know the best. And um, they were just such a lovely family. The kids were very self-aware. You know, I'm not sure that how they did the, the conflict management within their family. I know that they um, they were part of other unschooling groups so that it wasn't just them. And I think that's one of the things that's so important when you, when you um, unschool at home is to be able to link up with other families and have kids be part of a community. And I mean, we know that that's not possible for everybody. You know, you have to have generally two parents and, you know, you have to be able to have somebody stay at home. That's not possible for everybody. So that's why we're saying, OK, let's unschool. That's cool. Because the building's there. The teachers are there. uh, The tools are there. We just need to have the kids direct how they get used.
0: And it is a really strong message. There is this uh, website, Mm -hmm. educationconsent.me, where Mm. four girls uh, ask for exactly that, that they have the choice to say yes and no. Mm. And they ask that, yeah, that, Schools provide that possibility that governments actually regulate it in that way that you have that possibility to say yes and no and cannot be forced doing something that you don't want to do.
1: Yeah. Where are those girls based? Where are they based?
0: One is from South Africa, uh, one is from Luxembourg, uh, one is from uh, the USA and uh, one from Russia. Russia.
1: Wow, that's so it's great. It's like really
0: an international
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: gathering. That's also so, so lovely to see that now we celebrate the International Freedom in Education Day and we have this international community where young mm-hmm. people are actually living it and connecting and networking together and uh, thinking about these questions and taking action. So, it um, makes me very optimistic. Thinking that yes, young people can take that power. So, mm-hmm. and, and they sh- absolutely should. Yeah, like they do with the climate. Uh, they should do with their education. Yeah, and actually, their lives. And yeah, exactly. And not only the young people, but we adults uh, too. I think. How did you experience like the deschooling process for yourself?
1: I don't know that I really did because I think I always was slightly dancing to my own tune. I mean, I, because the system, the, the K-12 system was so, did, just did not work for me at all. I had to figure it out myself. I had to figure out how do I learn and how do I uh, pass these tests and do these things my way because what they're telling me to do is not working at all. So, you know, I think I managed to, to figure that out. But why, you know, why should we have to do that? Why, why should it not be open where... You know, you figure things naturally out because you're learning things you want to learn. You know, I, I don't think I personally went through much of a de- de-schooling process, but I it's been interesting because when I've, I've um, I, my kids are all in their 20s now, and I said to them, oh, you know, I've got this insight. I am going to create unschooling school, and we're going to give people permission to just do it their way. And they were so hard on me. <laughs> well, mom, you can't tell people they don't need a high school diploma because you absolutely do. And I said, no, you absolutely don't. And they go, yes, but that's privileged. You can't can't say you don't need it if it's only for privileged families because they've got other options. I said, I'm not talking about just privileged families. In fact, you know, doing this is is better for everybody. And anyway, they really were tough on it. And I think that's partly their own de-schooling. And uh, the section that we have on the the website under free learners, there's a, a section for high school. It took a long time to get that that section right and to be able to say really clearly why high school is only one way to demonstrate that you're ready for whatever's next, probably not even the best way. doesn't mean that for some people, they still don't choose to do that. And if they do, that's fine. But to have people understand that there are options, and even if you're going to do the regular high school, you might want to think about what else you need to do to prepare yourself for life because- there's a great deal missing from the high school experience in terms of preparedness for, for real life.
0: Yeah, that's true. Um, how is the experience talking with teachers about this?
1: Strangely good. Much better than I imagined. The core group of people that have been working on an unschooling school, which includes uh, Derry Ham, is a core group of six people. I'm the only one who is not formally a teacher who didn't go to a teacher education. I'm an educator, but I didn't go to teacher's college. So between the six of us, we have 229 years experience in the education system. So it's actually a group of educators saying, you know what, things need to change. And we call them, um, you know, we call educators that are going to get this, that they're um, enlightened educators that they go, okay, something's wrong. We need to change what we do. And then the next stage after that is to be a responsible subversive. So somebody who works in the system and keeps the lights on and does the things they're supposed to do, but also really pushes and advocates for change. And that's what we're hoping kids will meet when they go into the school and they say, I have declared myself a free learner and here's my free learner individual education plan. Here are the things I'm going to do and here are the things I'm not going to do That Enlightened educators or responsible subversives will go, Great, super. How can I help you? What do we do to, you know, what can I do on my end to make that all possible? And I think there are lots of people out there like that. You know, I really do. I don't think it's everybody. And I think some kids are going to run into somebody that says, What are you talking about? You can't do that. You've got to do exactly as you're told. That's what school is about doing as you're told. We don't really care what you want to do. But if you think about it, I mean, it would be an interesting be an interesting conversation. So if a child goes in and says, this is what I'm interested in, this is what I want to focus on, and an educator says, no, we don't care what you want, you have to do it, then the child can say, well, hold on a second. Who is this school for? Is it here for the teachers or is it here for the students? You know, if it's here for me, then this, these are my choices. So it'll be, you know, it'll be interesting. I mean, we know that we need the first people that do this to be brave. You know, to, to be say, in a position where they've just had enough and they're willing to stand up and say, that's it. I'm not accepting this anymore. Here's what I'm going to do.
0: What will be the roadblocks for these kids? And what do they need as support?
1: The roadblocks will definitely be, you know, either teachers or principals at schools that are absolutely antagonistic to the whole idea. I still think those can be overcome by parents that back the child up. So my parents that say, get themselves educated. First of all, understand, like, what is this movement about? Why does self-directed education work? You know, you'd need, you'd need to know some things, not just, well, you know, I kind of think we'll try this. You know, you, you need to know what you're doing and saying. And then I think that you could stand up to almost any school, you know, and it might be annoying, but... Um, it's possible, and I, and I think that the best thing that, that uh, kids get, kids and families can have to support them is first of all, to get educated about it, but secondly, to find friends and to find other families that are interested, and to do this as a group. because of course, if you go in with five or six families in one school, your voice is going to be much louder, much stronger and and, and harder for the system to ignore. I mean, and then another trick would be to find out, okay, who's the teacher that's already in this school, whether or not they're my child's teacher, you know, it might be the kindergarten teacher. It might be a grade six teacher. It might be, you know, a grade 11 uh, math teacher. That is the one who's already kind of a little weird, a little, a little on the edge and go in and get their support and then say, how do we, you know, how do we make this happen in this school?
0: One question that is in my head about like, so I'm, I'm all, with you on the that yeah children should like it's their choice so in the end it's like them that have to say no they are the only ones so i'm just like imagining for them to be able doing that i think that they would have to have a background where they experienced that they can say no Mm. so Mm. For example, my daughter she was never in school, so she was unschooled. She tried like one, like two months of a supposedly free democratic school, mm. but she quite quickly, with seven years old, she were like uh, saw that like you know the adults are not on the same page here. They are not clear (laughs) about, and then she was like super annoyed about that, and she was like, "I don't want to go here anymore. I don't Mm -hmm. feel comfortable." It's very interesting uh, that she like, and she could express it quite clearly. So, so I I experienced a young person that was able to say, "No, I don't want this anymore." Mm -hmm. And then we we went to the teachers. The teachers were like, "Yeah, okay, we can find a solution." They were really willingly, and then we got a roadblock when we got to the school ministry that had the final say if the teachers could give her that freedom to Mm. not attend all the time or so and then that was the moment where we we realized okay we have to take her out and we could do that Mm. we did self-directed education at home but um, if i imagine now like a child that didn't have that experience that she is allowed mm-hmm. or he she or he is allowed to say no at home they would never they would never try or they are trying so mm-hmm. in kindergarten for example most of the children are saying no but nobody is hearing them Mm-hmm. There are a lot of children that are saying no,
1: yeah, and then we squash it out of them because they say no in kindergarten and grade one, mm-hmm. and then they get so much so many uh, so much opposition to it that they finally give up. yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think there's but I think there's actually two kinds of kids, at least <laughs> in this situation. so there's there's a child like your daughter who has been who's grown up in an environment where she has agency, where she's allowed to pick and choose things, and she's allowed to say no, I'm not doing something and that's respected. Those kinds of kids will do very well in this because they, to them, that's the normal. Of course, I, of course I have the right to say no. But I think there are other kids, and I was one of them, that didn't need anybody else's permission to say no. I'm just gonna say no because like really pig-headed little kids, you know, I am. <laughs> this is it and I'm doing it. And you know, you can see kids in families where it's not really permitted but there's nothing they can do about it because the kid is just so strong. And, and my middle daughter was like that too. My, my, the older and the younger, no. I remember when she was, I don't know, 13, 14 years old and she was out late and she was coming home late and I didn't know where she was. And she was doing all kinds of things that I didn't love. And I remember another parent saying, well, why do you let her do that? And I said, let her. I don't let her do any of these things. She just does it. <laughs> like, you can't, unless I'm going to put her in a cage, I can't stop her from doing these things. And part of that, that she was rebelling against, you know, the school system. And this is why I think it's dangerous because when you give kids so much to rebel against by a system that makes so little sense that of course they're one of their only options is to get in trouble, you know, and is to do bad things to rebel because they're already bad. They're a bad student. So they may as well smoke. They may as well take drugs. They may as well be promiscuous because they're already bad. And I, I think we almost encourage that by having a system that is so rigid and, uh, you know, just tells everybody what to do all the time and lacks, completely lacks freedom. So, you know, she would have been a great one if somebody had said to her, hey, why don't you be a free learner? Go look and see what that means and then make that choice. Now, the With somebody like her, the only challenge would be she also, I mean, for her school was entirely because of friends. The only reason she went is there she had friends there, and she wanted to be, you know, part of the group. So that is another thing that will be tough for some kids that if they decide they want to be a free learner, but none of their friends are doing it that, you know, again, it's going to take it's going to take kids with some guts and with some really good parental support. So I I think it'll just be a combination. Some kids will be brave enough on their own. Some will have grown up in an environment where that's okay. And some will need a combination and maybe just meeting the right teacher that says, "You know what? Being a free learner would be really good for you. Do you want to do that?" <laughs> and I think that will happen. Yeah. Not easy though. This is this is not a slam dunk. I'm not <laughs> you know, I'm not naive enough to think this is a slam dunk and that this is going to happen tomorrow. And and I think what we're targeting is say 1% of kids if we had 1% of kids, you know, in addition to the 2% that are already homeschooled, we could get another 1% of families to say, hmm, this makes sense for our child. We're going to try it. Then pretty quickly, that would grow. Because if you're sitting in, you know, if everybody's, um, you know, if, if, even if it's in kindergarten, for example, and you're, you know, everybody's at the table they want and, and you're at the water table. Max is playing at the water table. And then teacher says, now it's time for reading circle, la, 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 la. And everybody's supposed to gather to reading circle. And Max says, nope, I'm going to stay at the water table. And hands the teacher a little piece of paper that says, I'm staying at the water table because that's my choice. (laughs) And we have those documents on the website. And then the other kids say, how come Max gets to stay at the water table? And Max says, because I'm a free learner. Send your parents to this website and hands them a little piece of paper or sends them a link on his phone. That, you know, as that happens more and more, other kids are going to go home and say, hey, Max gets to stay at water table and doesn't have to come to Reading Circle. I want to do that too. Is it disruptive? Yes. But that's okay. This system needs some disruption.
0: <laughs> yes, I agree. It's, we have to take the freedom if we, it's not something that is given out. It is free, but you have to take it.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, I've been I've been working on this for over 20 years and you go to a conference, an education conference, and it's the same conversation. We really need to modernize education. We need to transform education. We need to have 21st century skills. We need to do this. We need it. It's all the same stuff over and over. And the changes, the rhetoric is there, but the action is behind okay, yes, kids have choice. They can choose, they're doing a geography project. They can choose which part of the world they want to do that geography project. Whoop-de-doo. They're still having to do geography. They're still being told this is it, but they get minuscule amount of choice. And that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about real choice.
0: Yeah, and the choice lying with the learner and not a teacher giving a choice. It's right. not something that they can, that they should give you in in that sense. It's something like, no, you, you have it. Yeah. You don't exactly. need somebody to, to, to give that freedom to you.
1: No. And, you know, I think if we get enough, enough kids that are doing this in schools that, you know, the teacher, teachers will be running a lesson on math and that's the teacher's choice. If they want to rest, run a lesson on math, go ahead. And, and let's just see how many kids decide to join that lesson. And so, when kids decide to join that lesson, then that's great. Maybe that's because it's a really engaging, great teacher that is passionate about math and has a way of communicating it that's exciting and and uh, engaging for kids. Great. But if if somebody's if nobody's attending your class, then that should tell you something. So you know, you want we want the teachers to have choice. They can do whatever classes they want, but the kids should be able to pick whether they attend or not.
0: And the great thing is that nobody has to be afraid because there are already all these places that are doing it already. So we actually know that it works. This is not not it's not a new thing. No. Yeah, that before school was the norm. It worked then too, and now we have all these great places like Summerhill gets hundred years. Yeah, Summerhill is hundred years old nearly. And um, their children are allowed to say no. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and they attend lessons. They ask yeah. for lessons. Yeah.
1: Yeah. This is not, about, it is not about never providing teaching. I mean, teaching is, is needed and wanted, but it's got to be with choice. It's got to be with consent.
0: Yeah. And it can even be also like the teaching methodology doesn't matter can be formal it can be informal mm-hmm. that's an interesting thing uh, so I, I will out myself now too that I myself did the pedagogy I studied pedagogy mm-hmm. uh, but I, yeah, I left um, my mm-hmm. school uh, some years ago but before yeah I tried for 12 years to to change stuff and I did Perfect. it differently I simply did it differently but that was not enough for me uh, in that sense so I, I was like a bubble in in the school and it didn't feel quite right and uh yeah i uh, know these conversations all these talks it's always the same mm-hmm. and um and there are a lot of talks about problems and after a while i was confused because i didn't have these problems i i Came in contact with self-directed education and I started to to run it more and more self-directed. And mm-hmm. then all these discipline problems and so on went away. I, I didn't have them in the first place so much. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, it was it was not really and, and in the end, it is not a problem. If you have a class that is not disciplined, actually that is a learning opportunity. Yeah. And that's that's a great chapter in Derry's book, but I I will probably talk with him about that on another video. But uh, yeah, and it's so interesting that if you give uh, young people this this choice, that they are part of the solution, then they they have actually the chance to take responsibility. And you put it very good on your website, the thing, and you you told also about it, like the, the responsibility is a big part of it. And you cannot... You cannot learn to be responsible if you, yeah, if everything is taken away from you. Yeah. That you cannot take responsibility for your own life. And it's like, yeah, very strange that uh, the idea is like, okay, I will tell you what to do all the time, but I want you to uh, be intrinsically motivated and do everything by yourself. (laughs) Yeah a very very strange concept
1: it's a very strange concept it's it, 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 one point about something you'd said earlier about the behavior there's uh, I've seen that there's estimations that it's between 65 and 85 percent of teachers time is spent on behavior management yes so you know this isn't just about freeing up kids it's about freeing up teachers too like did you really get into this business did you really decide to become a teacher because you want to spend all day long managing kids behavior and what other indicator do we need? to know that the system isn't working if that's the situation. Why would behavior management be such a problem? Because the structure of the system is such a problem. Not because we suddenly have all these kids with learning disabilities and problems. We have a system that disables learning. Because we keep trying to teach everything, everybody about something instead of letting them experience it. You know, and it's the same with, so you can't experience responsibility unless you're given it. You can't experience democracy unless you get to participate in the democratic running of something. You know, you can't can't experience critical problem solving unless you have a critical problem to solve. You know, reading a textbook about how to be a critical thinker is not going to make you a critical thinker. I mean, nobody would say, okay, uh, you want to learn piano, so we're going to read a textbook on piano, we're going to watch a lot of demonstrations, and we're going to discuss piano, but you're never going to touch one.
0: Actually, that's how music schools work. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's it's First, you have to do theory and learn yeah. to read music sheets. Mm-hmm. And then then you are allowed to touch it. But with music sheets, no. <laughs> so yeah. it's, and uh, that's what I did. So I was a music. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's quite interesting. Um, mm-hmm. That's the idea. And of course, that's that creates a lot of problems. Because yeah, yeah you, you you took like a thing that is yeah, very natural and you put it upside down and you, you're doing it all in the wrong order. Yeah. And and you're taking away uh, choice.
1: Because mm-hmm.
0: if, if, if a student chose to learn how to read, for example, uh, music, then it was like the easiest thing in the world. And yeah, I didn't yeah. even have to teach them. Right. Yeah. yeah. It was very interesting. I, I was uh, very inspired by the the research that Alan Thomas and Harriet Pattison did about learning uh, how to read, what they did mm. with uns- unschooling. Uh yeah, uh, kids that did unschooling. And what they described in their books and it was like, hmm, interesting. I should stop teaching reading altogether and see what happens. Mm. And the interesting result was that uh, they were actually then better in reading <laughs> music well, when I stopped uh, teaching it. Stop
1: teaching it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. altogether and then it was very relaxing. it would treat up a lot of time in my head where I had to think about how could I now uh, teach that. Uh, mm-hmm this this student is not responding to this matters. I have to, to find another one. And that's a lot of work.
1: It is a lot and of it,
0: work. Yeah, and in the end, it's always the student that is telling you what they need.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, it's it's uh, like that quote, a quote that if, um, if we started giving babies classes to teach them how to walk within a generation, we'd think that children couldn't learn to walk unless they were taught.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Can't stop a baby from walking. It doesn't even make sense. They keep falling down and bonking themselves, but they get up and do it again because they're driven, driven to do it. Why do we not realize that they're going to be driven to do all the other kinds of learning there is as well?
0: It is very, very interesting. But uh, I think if if you are long enough like 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 we are observing it and and really mm-hmm. like diving into it, uh, it becomes harder and harder to understand how didn't I see it before? And how, mm. it is, how is it possible that not everybody else is seeing that? Yeah, the discipline thing is one 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 example that is really, really big. Observing young people when they play, they have mm. all these rules, like Peter Gray describes. And you can really observe it if you are aware that it isn't there, how they regulate everything themselves. And if they are like... I observe a lot of plays where where very, like older kids play with younger kids, and that's no problem at all, yeah. uh, even with like more com- com- uh, competitive play,
1: mm-hmm.
0: where you have like a goal where you can win or whatever. But it's interesting seeing that it is possible that young people, younger people can play with teenagers. And, uh, yeah, they get along. Yeah. It's yeah. very conflict-free. And, and, and in, in, in a big contrast, what I experienced as a young person in uh, in school, uh, uh, is it called recess? Yeah. The, yes. Yeah. yeah. School recess, when there was like a game that was, I experienced it absolutely not like that. Also, mm. like older kids playing with younger kids, unheard of.
1: Unheard of. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, the, you know, one of the many challenges is that we've set schools up to become bullying factories. You know, when you have, when you only allow kids to play with the, and to be with the kids of their own age and you have a system that is, has um, competition embedded in it, of course, you're going to get bullying. Of course you're going to get, well, how come, you know, they're doing their, they're stupid, they're doing this and they're doing not doing that. Cause everybody's supposed to be all the same, doing the same thing, which is not normal or natural, Whereas when you let kids mix or you know, let, when you allow, when you provide an environment where kids can mix freely with ages, they're going to more naturally find somebody that's doing something they're interested in and go to that group. And then the comparisons are not going to be as, as stark because you're not looking at just 11-year-olds and there's this one weird 11-year-old that's not doing what everybody else is doing. But you wouldn't notice that when it's age mixing. So, you know, we have a big, big fuss over bullying in schools right now. But it's, it's the structure. It's not because we have all these bad kids. It's the structure of the system produces that. You know, that's a conversation that's not being had.
0: How do you think could we create these experiences for other adults? Like, like what we experienced when we visited mm-hmm. these schools, like you visited uh, Satpuri, I visited Summerhill. Like these experiences seeing seeing what we are talking about, not only hearing us talk about, but really experience it.
1: Well, short of going there, I mean, all of the schools have created marvelous videos. I mean, there's a wonderful documentary on Summerhill. There's so many. The we have on our website the Sudbury Valley Justice Committee in action, and you're actually kind of a you know bird's eye view of it, and it's really well done. Um, and then the you know the one of um, my life at Sudbury Valley, and the the young man is kind of narrating his different stages that he went through um in the different years that he was at the school and what he was involved in i mean i think if you spent a day watching all of the all of the videos of the various free learning schools you could get a pretty good idea of it you know other than going to going to visit is is best but that's that's not very practical no yeah.
0: And also disruptive for these places <laughs>
1: they don't they don't like everybody there all the time. I happened to hit it right when they were having an open house, and then I got permission to stay, so that was nice,
0: yeah, and it should not become a zoo like it's right. like oh well, yeah, we go observe <laughs> yeah. how these uh, strange people that are doing it differently
1: mm-hmm. but there's so many good books too, you know, it depends on what you like. do you want to watch a video? do you want to you know read books? do you want to um Watch documentaries. I mean, there's just there, there, there is a ton of information. It's you know, I mean, fr- yeah. frankly, reading, reading, um, you know, um, Peter Gray's, you know, free. No, I've just mixed up the name of it. So free to, learn. free to learn, yeah. And then and then Daniel Greenberg did free at last.
0: Yes.
1: You know who's the the founder of one of the founders of Sudbury Valley. So, frankly, reading those two books. And one of the follow-up studies on the, like the lives of Sudbury Valley students. And I'm sure Summer Hills has the same thing. You do that and you, I don't know how you couldn't get it. You know, it's just, it's so obvious.
0: I have often conversations where people, when they come in contact, they, they make the mistake that they think, okay, now I have to do nothing at all. So freedom means I can do whatever I want. Yeah and uh, this is absolutely not the experience that you are mm-hmm. that at least i made living it and uh, mm-hmm. going into these communities and living with the young people and playing with them so it's you cannot do whatever you want how do you think where where does that come from did you experience that that this misconception of it
1: yeah yeah people are always saying well so they're just going to play video games all day And I say, well, they might at the beginning. And now we know pretty clearly from research that that's actually okay, that they're building neural connections in their brains playing video games all day. And that video gaming is actually quite social. So if you have a room where kids are playing video games, they're all interacting and talking at the same time. It's not just playing the game. And why should we be upset that people are doing something where they want to do it, get to the next challenge and the next challenge and the next challenge? It's harder and harder. You don't play a game that you've already won at. You want the next one. You want to go to the next level. So, you know, gaming and spending time with technology, well, that look. here we are, <laughs> right, across the world using technology. This is one of the key tools that kids need to be proficient at. So why are we upset if that's what they want to do all night long? And we know for sure that when you let them, after a while, it will become boring and they'll want to go on to something else. And then they'll they'll put the same you know, passion and excitement um, that they had for video and gaming and, and technology into whatever it is that they've decided is the next thing that they're, they're gonna do. And there's wonderful stories. It's one of my favorite stories from the Sudbury Valley um, stories is the, is the kid that uh, fished every day, all day for three years. All he did is he came to school in the morning and he fished. And he knew every fish that was in the pond He knew what lures to use. He had researched all the fish and he'd drawn pictures of the fish. He was obsessed. And every year his dad came and met with the sort of the the staff at Several and said, do you think he's going to do something else this year? And they said, "Oh, we don't know. (laughs) We'll see. And then one day, this was, I guess it was in the uh, 90s. They walked, he walked by a room that was full of computers and said, what's all this? And somebody said, oh, you know, it's this. And he sat down in front of the computer. and just became engrossed and and ended up spending all of his time focused on that and left the school. My, my, I believe this is the way the story goes, left the school for a job in programming with Hewlett Packard. Didn't even need to go to university because he taught himself so much that he was valuable to the company right away. So who would have thought you'd get from fishing all day long (laughs) to being a programmer at Hewlett Packard. But if you're allowed to follow what interests you, you know you're likely to get very good at, at at quite a few things
0: that's another interesting um like yeah misconception that you have to have like a diploma or whatever to to have a successful career for example and mm-hmm. there's a lot of yeah you say angst in uh, in english actually? yes yeah. yes yeah. like the german word <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we've
1: got a lot of german words
0: yeah <laughs> yeah This. This angst about, yeah, but what if I took the wrong decision or whatever, and the interesting part to me is that, yeah, but you you don't have any guarantees with school either. there are no guarantees there's just like you have to do this, but you don't get anything for it, right there's no guarantee that you will get a diploma <laughs> it's not. Yeah. So, um, and, and even if you have a diploma, there's also no guarantee that then you will get this X, um, X job or whatever.
1: Yeah, no, not at all. Isn't there a new, uh, new report from the World Economic Forum saying that for kids entering school right now, 62% of them will be working in jobs that don't even exist right now. So, so how can we tell kids study these things, learn these things, and you will have a successful life because you will have a job when we have no idea what the jobs are even gonna look like. So, you know, self-directed learning, if it teaches you, first of all, how do you learn? You figure out how you learn. It also teaches adaptability because you can constantly change. I'm gonna try this now, I'm gonna try and that's what we need. We need people that are adaptable because we don't know what the world's gonna look like. Did we know this COVID was coming? No. You know, do we do we know everything would be rearranged, and who's who's going to be okay out of this is people that can can adapt.
0: Interestingly enough, I I have the feeling that the self-directed community is adapting quite well, even yeah. to the lockdown situation. Absolutely. Uh, well,
1: if you're a free learner, it you don't need you don't need the structures. You can use them when they're there, and if they're not there, you can use something else because you're in charge. If you're a self-directed learner or a free learner, you're in charge of what you're doing. So you can take advantage of whatever is out there.
0: Yeah, and you are probably more open to see all the different possibilities that are actually out there. I think yeah. that's we are limiting ourselves often because we think there is only one way. And in actuality, um, there are a lot of ways uh, to do to do something or to learn something. Mm-hmm. And And today it's, it's quite amazing like with the internet and with all this the information that is freely available i had one one discussion that at at one point in time probably school was not such a bad idea because that was how you could get information but then it right. became like to this idea that it is the only place to get information what was probably never true it was maybe easier at one time. But today, I think yeah. it's much easier to get information <laughs> outside of schools uh, yeah. yeah, than actually in, in schools. Libraries, for example, are like great self-directed education spaces that are
1: yeah, Well, and it's funny and it's because jo- people thought, okay, libraries are going to die, but they've actually adapted and yeah. they're probably more alive than ever because, especially because of the the unschooling movement, you know, those are great places for, for people to gather and to You know, you you now can talk in libraries, (laughs) you know, the the old stereotypes are gone. Well, I find that that one of the funny things that's come out of COVID is this big hue and cry for two things. Oh, kids are going to get behind. Poor kids. They're going to lose a year of school. You know, they're going to get so behind, like behind what? How, How are they getting behind? They're still living, you know, and if everybody's going through the same thing, how are they now behind? Who are they behind? And, and then the other part of it is because of the curriculum. They have to cover the curriculum. We have to teach the curriculum. We have to learn the curriculum as though there's no, there's no learning in life that takes place out of those things. If we could convince the system to say, look, let's have a year off from curriculum. Just drop it. Provide support and help and nurturing and focus on wellness and community and helping kids have community, even if they're not in a school building. Focus on that drop the curriculum for a year, and then let's see what happens. Let's just yeah. look at it at the end of all this and say, hmm, are things better or are they worse? And, and we know the answer.
0: <laughs> yeah, we better. know the answer because, yeah, <laughs> experienced it already when you drop it, what yeah. what happens? And then yeah. that you really don't have to be worried all that much. They are like really, I, I have so many examples that I know of that I'm that from young people that I know personally that I had the chance to meet that chose not to eat until they were twelve or thirteen. Mm-hmm. Absolutely no yeah. problem at all. Even it's sometimes interesting that oftentimes we know a lot of stuff, but we don't know that we know it or that yeah. we are able to doing it. And uh, that realisation is also something that's really, really great to observe. And yeah, there are so many examples um, that really point that, yeah, like this, how cu- curriculums, the national curriculums are built, that they are quite useless. I would say like it is an interesting idea to to have like a guideline or whatever. But in mm-hmm. the end, it is, it is pointless because we are so individual In our learning, when do we learn stuff if we let young people doing it? And also, like the the interesting part also about that is that we readily accept that if you graduate, after your graduation, that a short time later, you have forgotten nearly everything. (laughs) And we readily accept that. So... I saw one um, study that actually argued that, you know, but it builds like, um, yeah, you don't have to know all these things specifically, but it will build that you can then later learn Practice. easier. Yeah. Mm. Have like uh, learn new skills or whatever. And I found that really, really curious because in my experience, I see like, yeah, but if people without, a formal curriculum uh, achieving the same thing, then it cannot be because of the curriculum.
1: No, I, I think they're, they're, you, know, you, can, uh, you can get anything out of research if you uh, torture it long enough. And the, the, what's probably they're seeing is that if you learn something, no matter what it is, and you figure out things along your way about how you learn it, then later on, it's easier to learn something else. So what they happened to be learning was the forced curriculum. But if they'd been learning anything else on their own, they would have seen the same results. They're, you know, they're 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 giving credit to the curriculum when it has nothing to do with it. It's just a process of life.
0: And I'm from a country that's actually uh, interesting for language researchers. Mm. In Luxembourg, it's quite normal that you speak four languages. Wow. So the average person that grew up in Luxembourg speaks okay. three to four languages. So that's an average, and it's. Yeah, quite interesting Yeah, uh, for language researchers. Finland has a similar case. Hmm. So, but it's not a curriculum that does that. It's the environment that is there. Right. So you cannot reproduce that, for example, in in Canada. And then in Canada, you have English and French, for example. So, of course, it is... More probable that you come in contact with these languages, but not necessarily.
1: No, because we've we they're too separated, and we we've done a lot to try to teach French in um, in English schools. And other than immersion, other when, than when everything's done in French, it really hasn't worked. You know, my my son was in uh, two years of what were called extended French in grade seven and eight. Half his classes were in French. He learned nothing. Yes. I'd say, Connor, bonjour. Comment ça va? And he'd go, Hmm, ça va bien. I mean, that was about the extent of what he could do, because what he did get really good at is the uh, Google Translator, though. So he would do his project in history, and then he'd press Google Translate, and there, and he'd hand it in his, in French. But it's again, it's learning about instead of
0: yeah, experiencing it. And and I, I have a, the, a similar experience with that in school. I, I didn't learn the languages. Mm. I had all these languages in school, but I didn't learn them. I actually learned, I'm always saying like, I, I learned English because I like to play Magic the Gathering. Huh. That's that's how I came about right. learning, actually really having an interest in, no, I right. need this language because all the cards are in English. And I am observing it with uh, young people when when I'm on festivals and stuff, then we play Magic the Gathering together. So a game that is recommended from 13 and then above, I played with seven, eight-year-olds, <laughs> no mm-hmm. problem at all. And we played in, I, I only have English cards. And right. they play, this, it's not a problem. And in and, and playing, they, they learn also English words and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And then later on, like more came watching movies. Right. Because I I don't have so often the opportunity to converse in English so much. Like really. Well, your English
1: is perfect.
0: (laughs) 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 But, and then it was the same for German. German was like, this is the first language you learn in school in Luxembourg. But I actually, I I lived on the border. So I experienced German all the time. I watched German TV. So Mm. I watched German cartoons. So I played in German. It is right. something very natural because I, I had the chance to experience it because it was in the culture and in, yeah, in the environment. It was present where I lived, and with French yeah. it was very similar. And school, quite the opposite. School made me feel that I am not able. Yeah. In in these languages, and I'm I'm still um, yeah afraid that oh my language skills are not good enough or, or whatever. And it was really later on as an adult that I realized, wait a moment, I can understand. I, I was in an international group of people, and I can understand everybody, mm. even if I cannot really talk Spanish. But it was okay. I, I understood yeah. what they wanted to say, like basically.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, and that was quite interesting, a quite interesting experience. And that's one example of sometimes we have like skills that we are aren't even aware, and especially if you are told if you are judged on on skills uh, all the time, it's yeah, uh, it's a very um, yeah, it's not very yeah. helpful,
1: yeah, even as an adult, I went to uh, I decided that you know my French was maybe at the level of a five year old and that i wanted to spend a couple of months in france and you know really get good at it and the first few weeks i was just in paris on my own trying to find people to speak with i ended up with an international group of students where i was everybody the age of everybody's mother and and but we at least could have conversations and that was great and then i spent a month living at a, the home of a french teacher who was teaching me french as a result I have not spoken any French since. It was awful because I was constantly, "You must learn this, but I don't do it understand." You know, she was just, you know, it was traditional kind of teaching. It just completely turned me off. You know, so you think that's what kids are going through every single day. Yeah. You know, and I freely chose this as an adult. I th- I want to do this, and I did. I wanted to learn it, and I sat up in my bed conjugating verbs <laughs> at night. But still, the overall experience was, mm. you know. So I don't know why we think we can subject kids to this every single day and they're going to be happy and and balanced and you know self self
0: motivated. I think that's also one one very big part of freedom in education that we create environments where you are safe from that judgment. Because yeah. it's really hindering, it's really a detriment to the experience that you could have if we are more aware that it is yeah, it is not helpful judging people all the time on there and and it is quite okay um doing mistakes that's also one one big thing to be free to do mistakes and you don't have to underline them all the time
1: yeah exactly
0: i think that young people are quite intelligent enough to realize if they are making mistakes and there comes a point when they are ready then they will simply stop doing them Mm -hmm. and even then again what is a mistake in the first place.
1: Yeah. Well, and and we know that, you know, in society we need people who make mistakes and fix it or make mistakes and learn from it, that that mistakes are a huge, huge part of learning and that that's natural and normal.
0: Unfortunately, we got interrupted at this point by a bad internet connection. We resumed talking about on how much self-directing is commonly accepted in mainstream schooling and how much structure is actually needed in our opinion
1: only so far that if there's not structure then there's going to be mayhem you know there needs to be a very definite framework and scaffolding and and you know and all those things and that but but it, what we know is that that's what happens the scaffolding happens naturally in in free learning communities You know, we see the the kids and and like you would have seen with that uh, tree that your daughter saw everybody climbing the tree and she wants to go climb the tree. Well, children are not likely to climb up to a level that they cannot get down from. Exactly. You know, we we have self-preserving instincts, you know, when it's open and accepted that kids are going to, you know, climb trees and occasionally bump their elbow, then, you know, usually tragedy does not ensue. But we've become so... As a society, we don't accept any level of risk. And and we're hurting our kids with that.
0: Also, like uh, there's a lot of, uh, yeah, the playgrounds are disappearing because somebody hurts himself and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. And they keep coming up with, you know, hurt proof playgrounds. Like if it's hurt proof, it's not going to be fun. I mean, there's got to be some element of danger and excitement in it. And that's the whole point. And that's the whole point of, of childhood is to test your limits and certainly of adolescence. And we've taken, We've taken away all the real ways for kids to do that. And then we wonder why they go get in trouble. Well, because they're bored with everything being safe and controlled all the time. Yes.
0: And of course, like one retreat are then again, video games. Right. (laughs) Funnily enough, what also a lot of adults are then worried about. It's like, yeah, but you took everything else away. So Mm -hmm. what else should you do? And you test yeah. it out there. You can live out your fantasies there, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it is quite interesting. I, I myself play play video games myself, and yeah. played them also as a as a kid. And I know that it is a very social and yeah problem solving activity. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It can be it can be um, a distraction. So so you can use these kind of media as a distraction. Yeah. But oftentimes that means that something else is missing yeah and you need to distract yourself from what's going on what what, what, from something that you are not able to cope with and then you Mm. yeah and then then of course then it can get dangerous but the video game is not the actual
1: um, yeah it's not the actual threat
0: no no
1: well, I think if we're, if we're concerned with the amount of screen time that kids have, then what we need to do is relax and let them go play outside and stop worrying they're going to get an abducted, which the, the chance of getting abducted is, is less than the chance of being struck by lightning. Like it is so minuscule that that happens. But of course, every time anything happens like that, we all hear about it around the world. But the reality is it's not going to happen. I walked to kindergarten by myself and yeah. it was like six blocks away. Nothing ever happened to me. Now, is the world a different place? Yes, you'd have to watch for, you know, crossing the streets because there's more cars. I mean, that's the bigger danger. But letting kids, you know, play outside freely with their friends in mixed age groups, then maybe, you know, being on the screen is not as inviting. But see, it's you're right, it's the only place they have freedom. So we we need to allow far more freedom outside so that it can, you know, yeah. regain its uh, allure.
0: Also there we should not restrict the freedom of movement from young from young people, but better restrict movement from cars.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Remove the danger.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: And yeah, and also young kids really learn really, really quickly. They will not simply walk over the street. And Yes, it can happen, yeah, and that's where we have, and yeah, the reaction sh- uh, for the time being is often like, yeah, okay, we, we will restrict young people's freedom of movement. And mm-hmm. I don't know how it is in Canada, but at least here in Europe, now the freedom of movement for a young person under the age of 12 or 13 is zero.
1: Yeah, yeah, we've done the same. There, the is, same no, there
0: is no freedom of movement.
1: no. You, if you see a 10-year-old on a bus by themselves, you'd go, what's going on here? Why is this child on the bus by themselves? You know, when a 10-year-old is perfectly capable of taking a bus by themselves. Exactly. And, uh, you know, I, I, I do think these things are related because I think as, you know, we have free learners in school and, um, you know, parents embracing this idea. Yes, my kid is staying in the public system, but we're going to designate them a free learner. That it will create a mentality that's about trusting kids and you'll they'll see look when we trust kids this actually works they become trustworthy because they know they're responsible and that will then allow more freedom outside and more freedom you know in public because they'll realize okay we can trust kids you know we've we've become this this self-fulfilling they have to be told what to do at all times and then that reinforces that if they're not told what to do and they're not kept you know indoors or inside a fence things will go wrong but i think as we allow more and more freedom We'll see even more freedom is better.
0: Yeah, I would argue that uh, restricting their freedoms is producing more unwanted results. Like, if you are looking for whatever, like, I wouldn't say like criminal activities, but stuff they shouldn't do, or others think that young people shouldn't do. If you create like this this narrative around it, then it gets even more interesting. Probably they would never ha- have gotten the idea. <laughs> if, yeah. if I observe young young people, as, like, they are really trustworthy. You can give them responsibility. Older ones they will keep tabs on the on the younger ones. Yeah, and and, and yeah. so on, and and also the younger ones will. So, and that's also quite interesting, like this age mixing, what what we took away from them Mm -hmm. uh, and opportunity to learn from these different age groups. Mm -hmm. Because that, and also we adults tend to be also, we are also removed from most of young people's lives. We are not really living together. They are in school. We are some, yeah. some, somewhere else. And then there are a lot of families where young people are in institutions all the time. So all the interac- interactions with adults are like, these adults have like a role. They, they are not yeah. there as human beings.
1: No, they're there as authority.
0: Exactly. Most, yeah. of the, yeah, most of the time, they are there as authority. That's not an environment where you learn trust because you know you are not trusted because you are observed all the time right right so you know already yeah okay i i cannot be trustworthy because i'm observed all the time so there has to be something wrong with me
1: yeah um i don't know if you've read uh, jim flannery's book uh leave school it's um it's an app book so it's it's audio and you just if you go to jimflannery.com and he he spent uh, so he's got a degree in engineering and then he was a physics teacher for a while and he looks he still looks very young but he looked really young when he was a physics teacher and he was amazed at how teachers who would be nice to him in the staff room but then when sometimes they didn't realize that he was a staff and he'd be in the hall they would, what are you doing here why are you not in class and they were just so incredibly rude to him like he one time went into school after hours and was, you know, absolutely accosted by this teacher. And he said, oh, I work here. Oh, I'm sorry, you know, I didn't realize. And it's just, why would you behave so rudely to somebody who is, is you think is 17, and then you find out, oh no, they're 27 and now I'm polite to them. Yes. I mean, it's, it's a, a terrible structure. And you certainly don't see that at any of the of the free schools. You know, it's kids and adults, they're all part of the community, you know? There's not any big difference.
0: Yeah, they yeah. are humans, and you talk with them like other human beings. Yeah, that that is not that seems not to be normal. If you if you also if you are an adult adult that sees young people and and speaks with them like with every other person, yeah, I, I find it quite puzzling. I I don't see a difference if a twelve-year-old comes to me and and needs something. What's the difference if there's a 40 year old that needs something.
1: Yeah, no, we've, we've created a situation where kids have to be in school. That is, is very divisive. You know, I know adults, I've experienced adults that are afraid of teenagers, you know, the yes. group of teenagers are better across the road. Who knows what they're going to do? Like, what are you talking about? That's, that's, that's nuts. But that, and that, you know, that's, again, one of the better things about, you know, unschooling or unschooling school is, is if you don't have to be in class every day following the curriculum, gives you a lot of time to have a job on the side, to volunteer, to start a business, to hang out at the library in the middle of the day. You know, if if your time from nine to three is not, you're going to be here from nine to three, then you can have a broader experience and be experiencing society and then have adults have the chance to mix with younger people on a regular basis. And we don't have these, this strange, unnatural division, you know, that is not how our, how it was for our ancestors, for sure.
0: Yeah, and why wouldn't you have a friend that is much older than you?
1: Yeah. Who cares? I mean, we do as we do as adults. I don't want, I don't go around with people only my age all the time. <laughs> you know, yeah. well, why would you?
0: <laughs> yeah, then it becomes like, yeah, in in a, in a working environment that's quite normal that but even there, I probably I looked also very young and I had longer hair mm-hmm. when I started out. I had always the feeling that if you're starting out, at least in my profession, the older colleagues tend to not take you seriously mm. because you are young. Yeah, that there is this culture not taking young people seriously, and oftentimes, mm-hmm. in my experience, they have very valid points, and oftentimes they are quite right, where I was completely wrong. Mm. In 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 what what whatever it was yeah. like we had a disagreement and if i actually took the time to have a discussion about it and what are our needs yeah then uh, there was more than once that i realized like oh actually i can step back and say yeah, like yeah you are right yeah we should do it like that
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. well it keeps it keeps us fresh i mean you know that if you look at your friends that don't have kids, you know, the, as you get older, the people that have kids, they stay a bit younger because they they stay current on lingo and expressions and on technology and just even in their, on their outlook because they're around younger people. And we just, you know, we shouldn't make that only possible for people that have children or that have grandchildren. If we're mixing more freely as a society in general, it's to everybody's benefit.
0: Yeah. Exactly. And and give also adults the possibility not uh, to interact with young people as ourselves, not as yeah. an authority or in any kind of role. Yeah. Because that's very different. You you are putting like, it's like playing theater all the time.
1: Right. Well, and I, I'm hoping that that's, you know, part of what happens with, with unschooling school and the idea of kids designating themselves free learners, because then the teachers can become just more like adults in the building that are there, you know, with everybody else along the learning journey. And that they, it, it takes a lot of the pressure off the teachers to think, okay, I have, if I don't do this and this and this and this, and I don't keep control of this class, you know, everything's going to go awry and these kids are going to be, you know, uneducated. It It's a lot of pressure for teachers. And we know that that there's significant anxiety issues amongst teachers as a, as a profession. And that's partly because they're being asked to do a job in a way that it's not possible. If, everybody's taking responsibility for their own learning and the teachers are just there as as part of that as one of the tools and resources but all the responsibility isn't on their heads then that should make their lives much much better as well
0: and i would argue the same goes for the policy makers (laughs) yes they have an impossible task
1: impossible so they can go find something else to do because really (laughs) we got way too many policies that's for sure yeah
0: <laughs> you don't have to worry about uh, about just, uh, other people so much. No, you can take responsibility about your own life about and then... yourself.
1: Yeah, there's a very cute. I don't know whether it's on YouTube or um, or one of the other channels with a little girl who's maybe two and a half, and she's trying to put on her car seat in her car, and she's putting the buckle in, you know, and the dad is filming it, and he's saying, "Do you need help?" And she says worry about yourself, worry about yourself, you know, she's
0: yeah.
1: like, I'm doing this, you go do what you're doing, I don't need you. And it's such a good example of, yeah, worry about yourself, like let everybody, you know, and, do their own thing.
0: <laughs> and and we, have, we have this knowledge very naturally from the start we are put on this, on this earth. They don't need us to control their actions, or I would even say like really to teach them anything. We are there and living by example and they are thriving Mm -hmm. quite naturally because I think we somehow know, yeah, this is where I will go.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that's where we've, we've mixed things up and that, you know, we are, we are born to learn when we have succeeded and progressed as, as, as human beings, because we learn not because we teach. Yes. It doesn't mean there's never a time for teaching. I think there is. You know, when you when somebody goes, how do I do this? How do I get here? What happens here? Then, of course, there's time for teaching. And there can be times for very structured uh, instruction. But it's, it, it's not the main thing. The main thing is that we're born to learn and that we do that naturally and normally. And to have the choice about how you're going to do that learning is what's so important. And we need to get of give up on this idea that it is all about teaching. It's all about curriculum. It's all about instruction. It's part of it, but that's a small part compared to the learning part.
0: Yeah, and we put it all under the word education and kind of lost the actual meaning because like the word education in itself, I had a a quite interesting conversation about it, like that the word in itself, why are we actually needing it? Because education, doesn't describe anything. It is right. just, just a bucket where we can put activities inside. Mm. But it is not actually a thing that we are doing. When we, when we tell ourselves like, yeah, well, I'm educated or I educate myself or this is education. Actually what we are doing is exploring is we are doing stuff we are playing music we are playing games we are reading we we do s- stuff right and then we put it in this box like called and we write education on it yeah but then we forget what's <laughs> inside of the yeah and we keep the box closed like lying in the corner there and then everybody's like oh this is super important but nobody knows what's inside <laughs> Oh, we are inventing stuff that, like, oh yeah, education. But education is like it's like this building, and we call it school. Mm-hmm. Huh? What? Yeah. Also, like a school. What? What? What's? What is it? It's so interesting that we created these ideas and these concepts. Yeah, and I found I found that idea interesting. Like the question: Why do we need the, the word education? <laughs> mm-hmm. Just as, as a question, because we worry a lot about it.
1: Mm-hmm. My understanding is that the actual, the root of the word is to is to bring out. Education means to bring out. So bring out of what's inside of you. You know, that's what it was originally supposed to be about. But we've made it mean something very different. We've created it that education is this series. Of, you've jumped through a series of hoops. That's what education in in our reality means.
0: If you say like bring out, I would argue like now we understand like the opposite of it. Put in. Yes put in exactly
1: <laughs> it's the filling of that pail not the lighting of the fire <laughs>
0: yeah and yeah, that's what I meant before that we kind of took that idea and then turned it upside down and, uh, and then wonder why, why is it not working yeah yeah and in the end it's it's like really this it's an ethical question about like could you even take away choice so that's already like unethical in a way. So it's quite impossible to argue that in which case could it be okay to force somebody, to coerce somebody doing something and not having freedom in education. And right. like you put it, like having choice. Yeah, any final words?
1: <laughs> no, I, I think I've said everything I could possibly yeah. say. Although later I'll think, like, oh, I should have said this. But no, I think that's really good.
0: Then it's for another day. I hope you enjoyed listening to this interview. Please consider subscribing to this channel and our free YouTube channel. More information on fhree.org.